This episode is brought to you by Haymakers Community Engagement Consultants. If you run a business or nonprofit working to make the world a better place, then visit wemakehay.com to see how Haymakers can help. This episode is also sponsored by RuralOrganizing.org. RuralOrganizing.org has been equipping and empowering rural changemakers since 2012. Visit RuralOrganizing.org for more information. And, you know, during the elections, I read about how, you know, for Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, they both still didn't focus on rural populations. You know, they would talk about working class, but working class urban populations are not the same in identity. They don't identify the same as rural population. After the 2016 election, the American media scrambled to explain Donald Trump's unexpected win. Their pre-election analysis completely missed the rural resentment brewing for the last three decades. So what is it about rural folks that make them vote Republican? Does the community you're from determine your political views? Our guest today, Paige Kelly, a sociologist studying at the Ohio State University, digs into these questions and more. I'm Matt Hildreth, and you're listening to Flyover Folk, exploring the progressive arts, culture, and politics of rural America. Maybe just to start real general, what, in like a fairly basic (laughs) freshman... uh, So the last sociology class I I took was in... uh, It was my senior year in high school. Um, (laughs) and And I was... Um, uh, not there a lot and, uh, I think men- mentally or physically. So, and it was taught by, I think my favorite teacher in high school, who was also a football coach. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so that's my context. Um, but can, can you explain, you know, from, from a basic sociologist standpoint, mm-hmm. what is the difference between, a rural person and an urban person. And I'm keeping it somewhat generic because when I say uh, rural in any email I send out ever, the response I get if it's a mass email is, what do you mean by rural? And oh. and I know there's all these different de- definitions. So I don't want to get into each of those definitions specifically, but just kind of from your standpoint generally, um, you know. Oh, you just opened a whole can of worms. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> Uh, how would you define rural? Uh, I guess, you know, it's in its simplest terms, it's really a matter of like population density. Um, it's, it's a, it's a really trying not to over, uh, academic this, <laughs> this is a, definitely a disciplinary thing, but I think we definitely, there's kind of two ways of describing rurality or, um, someone who would, what is rural, it would be, you know, these, um, I guess these quantitative measures. So population density, we can measure, um, commuting zones. So where do people actually drive in? If we would consider that more suburban versus rural would be areas that are economically and socially independent of urban areas. Um, so there's that quantifiable rural measure, um, that we use in our statistical models. Um, there's also metropolitan statistical or yeah, metropolitan statistical area. So it's kind of measuring influence of urban areas. And then the rural areas just become an out, you know, kind of the residual what's left over once yeah. we've accounted for the effect of urban areas, the remainder. The yeah. So, yeah. So you can start seeing, <laughs> is it any wonder rural places are a little resentful? They're just the residual. Um, right. But then, you know, so there's that quantifiable 
definition of rurality. And then I think a lot of people would argue that there's really a equality to rural places. So um, this is maybe a little bit outside of my own research just because I do mostly statistical analysis, but I think we all understand that when you go, you just know when you go to a rural place, there's just this general sense of, you know, open space. It might be very bucolic. Um, I think we glorify or like agricultural settings um, or, you know, maybe in the context of Appalachia, that's very rural. Um, it might be a very different depiction and quality of rural areas. Um, in the West, it might be mountainous and ranching. So I think that's a harder one to describe because it's more uh, heterogeneous. But um, I think it's a really important component is there's just a quality to different types of rural places that I think people that live there would say is what truly makes it rural. It's not necessarily that they <laughs> live in sparsely populated areas or, you know, right. do or do not commute to urban areas. Um, right. It really more of these um, external factors that yeah. are defining a rural setting. Yeah. And in some ways, I mean, you know, having grown up on a, on a farm and small hobby farm in South Dakota, mm-hmm. um, I, always, I always assumed, and maybe this is right, maybe it's wrong, but I always kind of assumed rural was an identity um, more than it was a geography. Like <laughs> r- rural meant, um, you know, camouflage, four wheelers, <laughs> you know, um, uh, cause I think even just for me, like I, I sort of always struggled with that. Like I, I grew up on a farm, I grew up with horses showing horses, mm-hmm. but then also, you know, um, played hockey, you know, did sort of the, the, the traditional, um, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, normal sort of big to, to large size town kind of experience. Yeah. But I, I had family that were from remote rural or, you know, mm-hmm. sort of far uh, places that you, you had to drive for hours to get to. And, and their experience yep. was very different. But in, in terms of like most political scientists or maybe even sociologists, and especially like pundits in the media, we would all be classified together. And it's a it's a very different experience. Oh, it totally is. Um, yeah, it's I mean, I think it's a, some it's something I think that you see even just if we're looking really broadly, like the rural areas of, you know, the South that are really impoverished um, are going to be, I mean, broadly very impoverished areas of the South. So you have the Ozarks and parts of Appalachia, um, the Mississippi Delta that are the historically rooted in slavery. And then also, um, you know, they just have these areas of persistent poverty. Um, That's going to look a lot different than maybe, you know, the West that's more typified by forests or fishing and that remote rule is more prevalent in the West. Um, and then even the, you know, the Northeast or Midwest that's largely typified as agriculture. So it's just in those broad terms, there's so much variation in rural areas. And I think it's something that gets lost when we treat it as, you know, a number on a one to nine scale or we 
treat it as just a residual right. <laughs> of urban areas. Right. Because, I mean, and I'm looking here, and this might get into some of your research, but, um, you know, just some, some headlines coming out of the election, you know, revenge of the rural voter. Politico was saying that rural yeah. voters helped Trump win the election. Here's how. Uh, will r- rural Wisconsin Trump voters swing back to Democrats in 2018? Yeah. Uh, why rural voters don't vote Democratic anymore? And I mean, as somebody that grew up, uh, you know, in a in a rural community, um, just always felt like that 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 distinction was was um, was hard for people to understand because, like you're saying specifically, you know, um, and I think this might get into to this year, but um, when when people are talking about rural voters this election, um, I think a lot of them are talking about like rural Rust Belt. You know, Wisconsin, white working, white working class men. That's right. That's a good, that's a good point. They, they were, the analysis was, would, they would interchange those two, two phrases. They would say rural voters and then they would say white working class men, Mm -hmm. um, from, from Wisconsin or from Michigan. Um, and so I've not, I've not seen an in-depth analysis, I guess I've seen a few where they sort of dive into, to the county level, but even at the county level, you know, just because somebody comes from a small county doesn't mean it's a, it's a rural voter. They could live in a small town, for example. Um, but anyway, so, um, I, I'm interested in your, in your work because you've been doing it for a while. Uh, and you have a, I think you have a good kind of handle on things, especially when it comes to voting. So, so my question is, you know, uh, why, um, why do rural voters, and I'm, I'm using that knowing that it's probably a bad question and that you're going to have problems with the question. But why do rural voters – why did rural voters vote for Donald Trump? My, my research question was really what, to what degree is you know, Republican voting a function of an individual's demographic characteristics versus where they live? Um, and so the process for that was you know, we have our traditional measures of you – know, or demographic characteristics that is supposed to differentiate how someone would vote. So that's you know, race, income, education, um, marital status, gender, uh, age. So just these really traditional measures that we can say, well, we know that uh, black individuals are more likely to vote Democrat than white individuals. That's just a historical trend that persists um and we know that women on average tend to vote more liberally than men um so we control for that and then you know the question is once we control for that is it really just you know that there's you know in rural places there's more white individuals or is there something about rural places particularly that shapes people's voting behaviors so um and, and your conclusion is, is that it's, that there's not. So you're, let me see if I'm getting this correctly. Yeah. So you're saying basically that that there's indicators that determine whether uh, how somebody will vote, mm-hmm. the, the, their race uh, and ethnicity. Are they do they belong to the black community? Are they mm-hmm. do they belong to the Latino community? Um, income religion. level, religion, income mm-hmm. levels, gender, that kind of stuff. But if you if you do the same sort of study to 
rural or urban, you don't find a statistical significant number or whatever that shows that that's an indicator of how they'll vote. It's really, so once we control for those indicators, you know, so that's once we control for those indicators of individuals, then adding in urban rural, is there a difference? And there isn't. So basically what it's saying is that white working class men tend to vote Republican and there tend to be more white working class men in rural communities. Um, I mean, for, I for example, I mean, loosely, I yeah. mean, yeah, let's loosely say that. Yeah. So, um, or, or maybe there, there may be a better way to say it is, uh, white evangelical Christians tend to vote Republican and there's more white evangelical Christians in rural communities. Yes, I can say that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'm agreeing with that statement. Yeah. yeah. And so then, you know, it gets a little more interesting. So then, you know, those broad regional groups that I was talking about of, you know, the North, um, South and West, um, there's been some work by political geographers talking about these cultural political regions and how they have these legacies of migrant groups come moving in that have different ideologies about the roles of government and how those would inform differences. So not only broadly, just, you know, the South in general, but also rural South and urban South. And there's some variation there. So, um, you know, and the, what my analysis shows is that really in the, the North, rurality is not a discrete indicator, at least up until 20, the 2012 election. There was really no difference between rural settings and urban settings in the North. Um, and then the, and, and North, North being like New England North or? Uh, New England through the Midwest. So it's uh, this, this cultural region that they call, uh, they typify as moralistic. So this idea that in this region, Voters view government as a means of advocating for their community. It's a means of community um, engagement. And so when you're voting, it's really for you're voting for the betterment of your community. Um, in contrast, in the South, it, they, they typify it as individual or traditionalistic. So that the role of government is to maintain the status quo and also to elevate political elites. And so when you vote, that's you know, those are your driving motivators. How are you going to maintain, you know, different differentials in power or the power of certain political elites? Um, and then in the West, they typify it as individualistic. So the role of government in the West, there's a culture that it's really, you view the government as a means of maintaining your individual rights and freedom. Um, so you can think maybe rugged individualism in that sense where, you know, you don't want the government infringing on those rights, but the government should definitely be protecting them. Right. So, um, now, now is this, is this, is this to, to rural specific or is this kind of across the board? This is across the board. And then once you start breaking down urban rural differences within regions, it's, um, my analysis shows that the only location in which rurality, um, is a true indicator is in the West. So there's something specific about the rural West that makes it more likely to vote Republican than any other region, including the South. Um, 
And then the South generally, so across urban and rural areas, is more likely to vote Republican, mm-hmm. which we would expect based on you know historical legacies. In Wisconsin, it's interesting because there's a political scientist there, um, Catherine Kramer, who actually wrote a book called um, The Politics of Resentment. And she was looking at this notion of rural resentment. And basically what she saw was that rural voters were basically building their political identity around the idea that they were forgotten. You know, Madison and Milwaukee were these urban political hubs and the rest of the state was rural and they weren't getting the same resources or that was the perception as they were getting a disproportionate amount of the resources. Um, And I think, you know, we have to understand that reality is an identity. It's not measurable um, necessarily on a scale and that each place is going to have a different legacy. And I would focus on the fact that, across the board, I don't think people are foregoing their economic well-being. So then if that's the truth, what do they see in Republican candidates that makes them vote a specific way? Um, And, you know, as much as we hate Donald Trump, he's really tapped into this, you know, he uses the language of the forgotten. The forgotten will no longer be forgotten. Um, And if you compare that to the sentiments that Kramer saw in Wisconsin, like he spoke exactly to that, you know, all these urban liberals and elites um, have taken and been the focus of political candidates for so long. And all of a sudden Trump comes along and says, you know, we'll focus on rebuilding manufacturing industries, which have historically employed large sections of rural populations um, will focus on infrastructure or whatever. Um, And in a lot of these rural communities that have since the 1970s been experiencing economic restructuring and, um, you know, manufacturing and depending on the region, you know, uh, different extractive industries have been declining. So whether it's forestry or mining or um, farming, they're all somewhat on the decline. And so for Trump to say, you're no longer forgotten and we'll focus on industries that can employ you, I think is notable. Um, And, you know, during the elections, I read about how, you know, for Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, they both still didn't focus on rural populations. You know, they would talk about working class but working class urban populations are not the same in identity. They don't identify the same as rural populations. I think maybe, and we'll have to wait and see, but I think Trump may have tapped into some of those urban populations that have also been thrown to the wayside as manufacturing has moved out of them, you know, in Detroit or in Michigan and Wisconsin. But uh, we'll have to wait and see you know, until someone has done the analysis. But I think there's a sentiment there that he tapped into as far as economic livelihoods and what type of jobs they identify with um, and see themselves being actually able to fill. So, 
Yeah, I think that that I mean that was something that I I forget where I read it, but there's a few different things where you you went where uh, re- reporters or whatever actually sat down with Trump voters, and there mm-hmm. was a, a consistent thread among those different conversations where basically the voter was articulating feelings of being forgotten and voting for Trump, um, knowing that it probably wasn't going to be the best thing for them personally, even, but that was how they were going to send a message. You know, that was how they, you know, were throwing a wrench or whatever into the, into the system. Um, and, and (laughs) yeah, and unfortunately it worked. I mean, you know, that there's, Democrat for the first time talk having these conversations. Um, and I mean, rules on the agenda all of a sudden. I mean, it was like as soon as the election happened, you know, the rule sociological discipline suddenly became interesting. Right, um, right. We haven't been interesting in a really long time. So <laughs> it was. Which, which is exactly what they were trying to say. I mean, and in some ways, I mean, I, I have a, a problem with anybody that wants to. Uh, not to get too political here, but you know that wants to to uh, I, the the pundits that were saying things like, "Oh, he's really tapped into something," you know. Um, yeah. I, I I felt like um, I felt like that in some ways normalized what he was doing, especially on issues around racism and white 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 supremacy, especially. Oh yeah. Uh, so I have a big big problem with that, obviously. But um, this idea of understanding it from a uh, a long standing view of resentment and feeling forgotten. Um, I think that, you know, uh, I think that people are going to pay attention to the farm bill this year. Like they've never paid attention to the farm bill in the past. Um, and it's interesting too, because, um, there's a debate right now among in political circles, uh, uh, you know, do you sort of, I, you know, ditch this idea of identity politics and try and find the one unifying message. Uh, And, you know, around economics and working and, and working, you know, sort of working class issues. Um, mm-hmm. But I think some of that forgets that uh, analysis that you've discussed about the different regions and, yeah, and, you well, know, e- even what's good economically for one person and, and how much that influences their understanding of the role of government is, is fundamentally different regionally. Yeah. I mean, there's so many factors that go into play here and it's, you know, something I guess that I would compare it to is when I think part of the reason Bernie Sanders had, at least in part, issues during the campaign. I remember uh, Tony Casey Coates' um, critique of his, you know, kind of irreverence towards race as its own issue, its own identity issue. Um, and Bernie's messaging was really that if we take care of class issues, then you know, that will resolve race issues. And I mean, historically, that's just not the case. Um, we see that intersection with poverty and race being significantly, you know, geared towards disadvantage of minorities um, across demographics, you know, that holds. And so I wonder to what extent, and I don't know if my research or can really answer this, but to what extent, you know, some of these, uh, you know, rural manufacturing or extractive industries, these identities also need to be treated with this legacy of disadvantage. Um, You know, at the county level, um, 
rural areas experience significantly higher rates of poverty. Um, and so in the rural sociological literature, we understand that rurality is a form of social and economic disadvantage of a lot, really often, because it does put those populations um, at a disadvantage of being competitive economically um, and having the same levels of well-being, even if they are well-educated. You know, there's the, bl- the brain drain component and all of that, but um, I think as far as, you know, future policy, I think it's having a, a an appreciation, I guess, of differences or that policy needs to vary practically across place and also mm-hmm. across different um, social identities. Well, thanks so much yeah, uh, thank for you. chatting and uh, uh, really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. I'm Matt Hildreth, and you've been listening to Flyover Folk, brought to you today by Haymakers Community Engagement Consultants and RuralOrganizing.org. Our music today and every day comes from Brutal Bear, based out of Wichita, Kansas. For more information about them and this podcast, visit flyoverfolk.com.